occasion. But uh, I had to wonder what would he say if he would come back tonight and stand before us here and see this crowd of people. Uh, I think he would resonate these same words here in that uh, uh, that we have in Philippians. He'd say, it's, it's God that's doing this work. At that time, there was probably four or five families, really a small group. And uh, so it's a blessing to, uh, to see God building his church, see the growth that's taking place. And I'm encouraged by that. I thought of the other, some of the other past leaders. I thought of Brother Samuel. I thought of Brother Arnie. What would they say this evening? They had the opportunity to stand and address this audience here this evening. Jesus told Peter, he said, I will build my church. No question about it. I will build my church. God wants, God needs building material to build his church. Uh, you know, it's not only about those in the past, but it's about us today. That God wants to use and build talks about being viewed and submitted to his plan for our lives. I'd like to read the rest of the verse, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do I feel resentment? Do I feel impatience as I see God working in our lives? I was thinking about God this evening, or as I was meditating on this verse earlier today. You know, when you think about God, you think about the power, you think about omniscience. Um, there's no surprises with God. As humans, we have surprises. There's anticipation. There's uh, uncertainty between these three couples on the front bench this evening. They don't know. But God knows that already. And actually, I thought about it deeper than that. I thought, you know, God, when these verses in Philippians, this verse here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 was inspired, God could have put an extra verse in there and said, in the year that Obama is president, I would ordain, ordain a leader in a prayer congregation. He could have done that. And you know, theologians and scholars, Bible uh, uh, people would have struggled with that verse for years. What, what does that mean? And, and you know, we wouldn't have understood it until now. That's our God. He knows everything. You know, we we, we traveled to North Dakota in the beginning of the year, and, and we took along our uh, one of our grandsons from here. And before we got to the driveway, uh, at JJ and Chinks, we put him in a box and we carried him in the house and we told the other three grandsons there in North Dakota, we said, we brought a surprise for you. And uh, he hid in this box and uh, we said, when they start opening that box, we want you to jump out at him. And you know, it was the best surprise we could have brought for those other three grandsons. They were excited. And, uh, you know, I thought about that. You know, as humans, there's surprises sometimes that we'd rather not have, but then there's surprises that we're, we're glad for. And, uh, but you know, it's God, there's no surprises. His yesterday and his today and his tomorrow are just like our today. I, I can't get my hands around, I can't get my mind around that. But that's our God. He's powerful. And then it talks about him working. That's another, I don't know, how, how, do you, how does God work? Uh, you know, we think of work at work as a drudgery or it takes exercise, it takes effort. Does God actually have to exert effort? I thought, well, maybe we make it work for God. Maybe when we resist his plan for our lives, when we resist his plan for our church, is that, does that make it work for God? But no. You know, the greatest resistance any one of us could give is really no work for God. You know, you think of Jonah. He resisted God. It really wasn't, didn't seem. I would have taken me a lot of work to get him convinced otherwise. You know, how did I get the whale train to come over here and swallow Jonah and then spit him up the dry grass? 
But, you know, God has control. God has power. Uh, so even though the most powerful human being, really, if he, he resists God, that really is a small thing in God's eyes. He can, he can take men's hearts, the heart that seems in his hands. God can take and, and, and change men's hearts and lives how he wants to. But he still gives us that free choice. I'm glad to see these three uh, couples here in the front bench have surrendered and have submitted to God's will in their lives so far. The NIV uses the word purpose instead of pleasure here. King James uses the word pleasure uh, to do his will and to do his good pleasure. And God is good. There is none good but God. And uh, I like the idea of, of that the uh, NIV gives to God, that God has purpose. God has a plan. He's not just simply, and I don't understand exactly why they use the word pleasure here, uh, but purpose seems maybe just a little more defining. God has purpose. Uh, and then because of our, our culture, we look at pleasure as, you know, that of pretty fleeting. But purpose has a deeper depth to it, more character to it, is my feeling of that. So God has a purpose, God has a plan. And uh, what is God's purpose tonight? What is God's will for my life, for the lives of these three here on the front bench, for the lives of the prairie congregation? What is God's will? We're waiting on him tonight to reveal that to us. I like to refer you to another verse in Hebrews chapter 13, two verses, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And I'd like to give these three these two verses to the three couples here in the front bench specifically. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a promise we all can embrace as God's children. But specifically this evening as we think of what is the task of God building his church and uh, you know the peace that can be there. God bringing his son back from the dead. You know, the task may look great. The responsibility may look great. But yet God will give you that strength and the grace to fulfill that task. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's what God wants from us this evening. Us as his creation doing his will. And that's our desire this evening that God's will would be done. May God be praised and be glorified. Lord bless you. Thank you, Brother Warren. You know, when we do God's work, it is a pleasure to God. It certainly is. God smiles down upon his people, and when he sees his people willing to do whatever he asks us to do. Brings us to replacing the lot and the ordination.
Brother Dalton, 
in the providence of God. We have called you to the office of minister. Are you willing to accept this call from God through the church and by the grace of God and the aid of the Holy Spirit to give yourself to the work of the Lord as a faithful minister of the gospel of Christ? Are you willing for your husband to accept this call and to be a help and encouragement to him? That you, as God in counsel, exemplary life, be a compliment to his work and call. Brother Delvin, you promise to give careful personal heed to the word of God, that you by example and precept may persuade men to the way of righteousness. Are you committed? To provide a preaching and teaching ministry in the whole council of God for the overall feeding and well being of the flock which the Holy Spirit has called you to minister. Are you committed to the work in harmony? Are you committed to the work in harmony and cooperation with the ministry brethren and the shepherd of God's flock? Upon this confession and the policy that you have made before God and these witnesses, we hear well. In the name of Christ and His Church, charge in the name of the minister of the gospel. Preach the word in its purity. One sinner and not to be unconverted to repent. Teach, instruct, comfort, and encourage belief. Be instant in peace, out of peace. Be free, be used, and exhort with all long suffering and godliness. The work of evangelism makes full proof of thy ministry. Likewise, give thee to thyself. What circumstances? Read the word, meditate upon its precepts, pray without ceasing, and all things again seek to be a faithful neighbor in the vineyard of the Lord. If you can make things, or in some days thou shalt save thyself, and then shalt be Let us pray. O God, our Father, we come to you this evening in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Church. Father, we call another brother to the ministry of the gospel. And Father, we pray for Brother Delvin. Father, let's pray that your presence and your spirit would direct him in this calling. Father, I just pray that you would enable him to fulfill the task that you've called him to. And Father, we pray for Sister Christie as well. Father, I just pray that she would be with her as she stands by Brother Delvin's side. Father, may she be a support and an encouragement. And Father, we just commit this man's ministry into your hand for the good of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Father, 
church and they care for the church and come and bring the word and find you in their prayer. We call them Brother Delta and Minister. I pray now that we would really call them that you would sense the presence of those and to give him your enabling grace to the work. I pray that you would use him as a nation in your almighty hand Bless their home in a special way. Bless Christy as she stands beside him. And I pray, Father, that they would go forth in your strength and your power to be on Commit them to your Always come to see you. Thank you for your direction and your leading. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do your work and for the people to go I pray that you will accomplish them in a special way for the work that they have called to. I pray that you direct them in your will, in your way, in your word. I pray that you would bless as you minister to others and be of service to the church. I pray that you would hear from them. I just pray that your protection would be around his life, that his description would be supporting him, and then help you through him. I pray, Lord, that you would give her wisdom and also, and I pray that you would just bless her abundantly. I pray that you would continue to bless and bless her very quick, and we just pray you for what you do among us, and I pray that you would hold here to continue to. Your people in your way to pray for you. You know, don't you? It's a question in your life. May the Lord who has called you, fill you with the Spirit, give you grace and wisdom, bless you, and give you peace through the Son of Jesus Christ.
As for God, His way is perfect. A quote from King David came to me and should answer and lay to rest any remaining question we have about God's working among us this weekend. That quote came from King David kind of at the end of his life, and he was, I'm sure, thinking back over his life, remembering everything that he experienced and done, and thought about that, and then in contrast, as for God, his way is perfect. When we rest in that, we go forth in confidence with that. God bless you, Brother Bill and Sister Christy, and Brother Curtis, and Sister Mary Jo, as we heard the first evening, God has called. He called the brother and sister to work in the ministry. And everyone else here has been called as well. Some to the place where they have been and others to a new place in life. I'd like to focus my message this evening on the thought of let us go on to perfection in Hebrews chapter 6, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Therefore, leaving the Hebrews 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Let us go on to perfection. And we've heard throughout this weekend that Ministers are not perfect, and that goes without saying. But are we convinced this evening that that is God's will and His plan for us? So let us go on to perfection. I'd like to excuse me. Look at excuse me a few scriptures by way of introduction and in thinking of. God's will, and, and it's always a time of transition and change and new responsibilities, good to focus on things that are eternal and things that do not change. And so I'd like to read a number of, of scriptures, just um, verses without the references, to minister to us this evening, think about them, what they say, and I think they send a powerful message as we think of God's will for us and the call to the ministry. I'm going to introduce the message with those verses, a few thoughts on let us go on to perfection, and then conclude with the same verses. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain the life in God. He has given us everything that we need for this life, for ministry, for godliness, for everyday living. For without me you can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. For with God nothing shall be impossible. 
For my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Be confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. May those verses settle into our hearts and give us a peace and a calmness, whatever our place and position in life as we go from here. Let us go on to perfection. Perfection is God's plan for each one of us. Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul, in reflecting on his own ministry, says this, Colossians 1 and verse 25, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery unto the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto also I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. The Apostle Paul here is expressing his deepest desire for his preaching, for his ministry, that in the end he would be able to present every brother and every sister as perfect before God. That is a high calling, it's a high calling to ministry, but it is a calling to each one of us individually. That in the end, each one of us would be able to stand before him in perfection. That was God's plan from the beginning. If you follow the story of history from creation, created in the image of God, in the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. Created in the perfect image and will of God. Sin brought separation. Sin brought imperfection. Sin brought a loss of the image of God. But God didn't give up on his people. From that point forward, 
Everything that he did with his people and continues to do to us today is to bring us once again into that perfect relationship with him. The perfect image of God. From the animal skins that he provided to cover them, to the giving of the law of Moses, if you read the book of Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. The laws that he gave, they seem quite random in many cases to us, but I believe that each one was designed to show the character and the nature of God. Do this. It's how I am. It is who I am. Learn of me. Take on my nature and my character. We come to the New Testament. Jesus, the perfect man, coming into the world, showing his life, living and experiencing life as we know it, and then making it possible for us to once again be restored to that relationship, the sacrifice that was made, restoration, redemption, peace, and once again restored to the perfect image of God. Jesus taught, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we understand as we say, perfect, that if your definition of perfection is without sin, without perfection, without flaws, we understand that that is not attainable in this life. But a working definition would be that you are perfect as you fill the role that God has given you today to do, whatever that role is. Perfection is as you are who God designed and expects you to do in the place which he has put you today. And so perfection for me is quite different from perfection from you. Perfection for me today is quite different from what it was 30 years ago. It's a beautiful time of year to drive around and look at farmland and see the trees bursting into color and green. And I noticed a field of corn on the way here or the way home, one way or the other. And there were rows of green corn going down the field. And it was beautiful and perfect. The green starkly contrasted to the dark soil. No weeds. Perfect picture of a cornfield in that early stage of growth. But if it would stay there, would it remain perfect? No. We see the growth, we see a canopy, and we're past the weed stage, and then tassels, silks, ears. But the thing that we really want is at the end of the season, and the ripened ears hanging down, and the tassels are bent down. That is the perfection. The, the progress of God, his work in our lives, we don't know, we see them perfectly today. Now through a grand glass darkly, but then face to face. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Be the person and the place where God has called you and placed you. Faithfulness in the work that he has given you. Jesus himself, the perfect man, perfect God, emptied of himself, 
It's said in the book of Hebrews that he learned obedience in the things that he suffered. And it was necessary that the path on our salvation was made perfect through suffering. And we asked, how could a perfect man be made perfect through suffering? When you think about it, at the end of his 33 years, the sacrifice was much different than it would have been if God would have simply presented Jesus as a baby and sacrificed him. It could have worked that way, but the sacrifice was perfect as he lived life and experienced it as we do. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's a much different sacrifice than if he hadn't experienced life as we know it. Perfection is God's plan. It was his plan from the beginning, and it is his plan for us today. Perfection is absolutely futile to depend on my own strength, on my own merit, at least. Absolutely futile if I pursue it on my own merit and on my own strength. And that is true in salvation, that's true in ministry, that is true in every place where God has called it. I'd like to turn to Second Samuel 22. As for God, his way is perfect. This is the passage where this comes from. I'd like to look at the context just briefly. Second Samuel 22 and verse 29. Remember, this is at the end of, of David's life. He's approaching the end. For thou, thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord hath lightened. The Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have, have I run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is cried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is our God, save the Lord? And who is the rock, save our God? God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. I'm sure the Apostle King David is thinking back over his life and thinking of all of the things that he experienced from his calling in the sheepfold, anointed to be king, is the battle with Goliath. And in each step of the way, we sense that he saw that the work and the battle was way beyond what he could do himself. I come to you in the name of the Lord. The battle is the Lord. And that is something that we need to have absolutely settled and clear in our minds. Even our very best that we have to offer to God if it's not sanctified in the altar and used in his hand is worthless in the kingdom of God and it brings perfection. I think of the rich young ruler came to Jesus. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, What does the law say? 
And he said, All of these have I kept from my youth. Yet one thing thou lackest, if thou wilt be perfect, go sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and come follow me. If you want to be perfect, he came and wondered what good thing that he could do. What can I do? And God gave him, Jesus gave him the path to perfection. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And we may be breathing a sigh of relief when we read that because we don't have a lot to give financially. But I would suggest this morning that your wealth is whatever is the best that you have to offer. Sometimes God asks us to give up those good things for his perfect and complete will. For Abraham, for his son, for the Apostle Paul, it was all of the things that were gained to him to count of loss for praise. I think of the life of King David, and I don't even think that he recognized where his life was in the, the um, broad scheme of God's plan for humanity. You know, he was faithful and he did all of these things. We look at it and we know that he was in the lineage of, of, of Jesus himself. We can see the entire picture. Just the realization that my life is a small piece in a much bigger plan that God has for me. And I, I realize that our lives are... What am I trying to say here? The, the plan, we do not see the full scope of what God has for us. We realize that our lives are simply a small piece of what God has planned for us. Faithfulness, even when I don't necessarily see the entire picture. The other point I think of in, in thinking of perfection and finding perfection in God, and this I see in the life of David as well, accepting accountability for that small piece which he has entrusted to my care. Yes, it is a very small piece in God's plan and in the overall scope, but accepting accountability for the peace that God has trusted to me. To whom much is given, much is required. In ministry, we heard much about servanthood this weekend. A few things that I need to remind myself of over and over again, and I'll just share them this evening. In thinking of accountability and my responsibility before God. Never think of ministry and the call that God has placed on your life as privilege or entitlement, but always as service, as trust, as responsibility, as service. Never think of it 
as superiority, as moral superiority. Never give yourself the privilege of being right, even when you're wrong. That's the temptation in ministry. Never give yourself the privilege of excusing yourself from the high standards that you set for others. Never give yourself the privilege of reveling or thinking highly of your position, pride in the position. One of the things that David experienced was the mistake and the rebuke of God in his life. And I wonder if when he says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great, if he isn't reflecting on the times of his failure. The times when somebody tapped him on the shoulder and said, Thou art the man. We need those people in our lives. the time in my ministry. We met with a man, a family, a couple of my ministry were with me. And I knew the meeting didn't go well. I understood. But I thought that I kept my composure. I it wasn't good. But I couldn't see myself in that situation as others saw me. And later, one of my ministering brethren came to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is what happened at the meeting. This is what you did. And that was hard. It was difficult. But I'm glad that you did it. It was difficult to accept. I looked at the other brother that was there, and you know, we were there too, but guess what you saw? And I'm glad that you stood beside the other brother and said, I agree with what he said. Are we willing to admit mistakes? Are we willing to accept the counsel of others? We grow up, I know I grew up. My grandfather was probably the person in my life that I looked up to the most as I grew up as a man of God, a preacher, thinking that he could do no wrong. You get to the point of being 60, 70, and you're a preacher, surely there's some insulation from intensity. There's some, but I would say that the opposite is quite true. When God places us in positions of authority, it makes us more vulnerable to certain temptations. Accept accountability and responsibility for the peace of life that God has entrusted to your care. Never view it as privilege or entitlement, but always as trust, responsibility, and service. Perfection is found as we're faithful one day at a time. 
God gives us life in little increments of time because he knows that we can't go beyond just what he gives us to do today. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And there's an old poem, look to this day for his life, the very life of life. And today we all live makes every yesterday a dream of happiness, and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Therefore, look to this day. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is abundant. It is always there, but it comes in daily doses, and we need to daily avail ourselves with the grace of God and His Word and His strength. He giveth more grace when our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the days have done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm, everlasting prevailing. Thy Father hath thee, and thy Lord will upbear. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. A young story is told of a young man who found himself involved in an accident, found himself in a full body cast, and when he awoke out of the anesthesia, he asked the doctor, how long am I going to be in this cast? And the wise doctor's reply was, one day at a time. God gives grace, he gives strength for each day. There is a sense we all with open face beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of God. That is a lifelong process for each one of us individually. But there's also a sense that perfection, none of us is sufficient of ourselves alone to find perfection in Christ. God has designed that the work of the church, the gifts and callings of the church, come together not only to shape me and mold me into the image of Christ, but as well together as a body we find collective. We find perfection in being shaped and formed into the image of Christ. We heard this earlier in the weekend. I'll just read it quickly again. Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. There the perfecting of the saints is for the individual 
members in the body. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm not sure if I'm correct in my interpretation of that, but I believe that is a collection, perfection, and image of Christ alone. A small measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. May that be your experience as a congregation. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 14. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not, not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, is it, is it hath pleased him. Life slowed down after Thanksgiving that year, after busy produce season, and now with the gardens cleaned up and ready for winter, we were eager for a change of pace. We pulled out a 1,000-piece puzzle, set up the card table in the middle of the room, and dumped 1,000 puzzle pieces on the table. The sun-dappled picture on the box contrasted sharply with the cold snow outside, outside the living room window. The picture on the box, perched on the edge of the table, provided the motivation to sort through 1,000 nondescript puzzle pieces with the hope of replicating the warm beauty on the box. At first it seemed impossible that we would find even one fit. Then suddenly there was a kind. I found one that fits, and then there was another, and another, and another. Slowly the image started taking shape. Progress came in spurts for several weeks. Then one afternoon, just before Christmas, the project reached the critical point of no return. We were close enough to being done that we could not leave it until it was done. The pace quickened, fingers flew, hearts raced, blood pressures peaked, voices hushed as everyone huddled around the puzzle in anticipation of the finished picture. How sad. One piece was missing. To us, that one piece became the most valuable piece of the puzzle, even though it was in a really drab section of the picture and had no outstanding features of its own. Still, without it being there, the whole picture was ruined. It left us deflated. Three weeks of built-up expectation were snuffed in a moment. Of the millions of puzzle pieces in the world, there was only one that would, that would satisfactorily complete the picture we had worked on so hard for such a long time. Yes, the manufacturer probably had made multiple copies of the same puzzle, but we could not borrow one from another box, only to leave that one with the same, the, that box with the same piece missing. Had someone offered us a perfect replacement, I'm afraid we would have paid more than the value of the entire puzzle simply to complete the picture. It would have been worth it. So what is one piece of a puzzle worth anyway? Absolutely zero. Can you imagine stopping by at a garage sale and seeing one piece of a puzzle for sale? Or how about going to a store and finding a single piece of a puzzle for sale? For sale, replacement puzzle piece. No one would ever buy it. It has no economic value. A store manager would be ridiculed for even offering a piece for sale. What an interesting situation that one puzzle piece reveals. 
It has zero value alone. If it is the last piece necessary to complete the puzzle, suddenly it has immeasurable value. Yet within the complete picture, it once again loses its individual significance to the beauty of the completed picture. The real value of the piece is only as it contributes to the finished picture. Now suppose the picture is the church, the body of Christ. And suppose the pieces are individual members with unique characteristics and spirit-given gifts. Of what value, apart from the body, from the completed picture, is one member's contribution? Like a single puzzle piece, apart from the puzzle, one member has no value apart from the body. But of how much value is that individual member when it absolutely leaves the picture incomplete? There's no way to put a value on that member, on that member's contribution to the church. When his contribution is missing, that member's value is almost infinite, beyond measure. When he is there, the image of Christ is complete. When he is missing, the image is marred. No one else can quite fill the place that God has designed for that one member. Alone, a member has no value. To the body, a member has infinite value. Within the body, individual members lose their significance to the beauty of the complete image of Christ. The church today is the visible body of Christ in the world, composed of many individual members who try to make sense of an arm, a foot, an eye, an ear, a tooth apart from the body is as misguided as trying to make sense of one piece of a puzzle. But now has God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the bodies? But now are there many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Or yet the hand, head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. Without me, you can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto you. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you.
you're turning your sign up to number 100. This is the request that we need to do for I'm number 100.
Thank you, Brother Ray, for the challenging thought. As for the ways of the Lord, they are flawless, the Bible says. They are perfect. They are shields for those who trust in them. I was challenged by that verse. Thank you so much for coming out. God bless you for your support. As you have a course after benedictory prayer, and the three couples can find their way out. It will be to the right outside the gymnasium door. I just ask that try to keep that area uncongested. That's the right thing. Good. Try to keep it clear so that people can move through there and share with them and encourage them. And, Again, God bless you for coming. It has been a blessing to watch God work with you in our midst. Let's stand together for a really great room. Would you lead us in a simple prayer? Thank <laughs> you.